context is everything, is it not? The words, I will, mean one thing in a wedding ceremony or as will happen later this evening, an ordination service, I will. They mean another thing if, say, you have some accounting uh, um, skills and somebody asks you, will you help me cheat on my taxes? I will there means something else. Jesus says some really cool things in today's passage about loving him, being loved by the Father, being indwelt by the Father and the Son, about, um, about joy and about peace. And those words would mean one thing if he's helping people in, the, uh, in his absence to hunker down and just kind of take care of each other, hold each other's hands and sing Kumbaya until the end of time. But that's not why he's saying these words. Notice at the beginning of our passage that he's addressing Judas, not Iscariot. And that's because in the verse just before our passage, Judas, not Iscariot, asks a very important question. Now, there are all kinds of emotions swirling on this night. Jesus has washed, their, washed the disciples' feet. He's loved them. And John says, like, to the end, he's loved them, and he's preparing them for his death, for the life that they're to live in caring for one another on the other side of his leaving. And he's talking about how he's going to live in them, and, he's, and, 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 and they're going to live in him. And, and Judas, not Iscariot, asks this question, Lord, why has it come about that you're—, you're you're only manifesting this, the, yourself to us and, and not to the rest of the world. Why, why, only do, why do only we get it and not everybody? And what Jesus is saying is basically, that's a great question. Because I'm not doing this just for you. I'm doing this so that through you, I can be manifest to the rest of the world. So his answer what about the rest of the world? Why just you guys for now? I will reach the rest of the world, but to do so, I need certain kind of people. People who love me, love me according to who I am, not me as you imagine. And then here's how I'll reach everybody through you. I and the Father will dwell in you. And wherever you are, there will be God dwelling. And people will recognize that I am there because you will have peace and you will have joy. To reach the world, I don't need people who just go through the motions, nod assent, say the creed politely, pay their tithe, though that'll be nice, and vote the right way. What I need to make myself manifest to the rest of the world is people who love me. As many of you know, I had a younger brother whose life was taken at a, um, an ATM holdup. And the young man who shot my brother was arrested 
and tried for felony murder. He was eventually convicted. And um, during the time that the trial was going on, I was shuttling back and forth between here in Orlando and Fort Lauderdale where the trial was taking place, which was where I had grown up and where my brother was shot. And in the midst of that trial, I happened to be teaching uh, seminary students about Paul's letter to the Romans. And we got to this really difficult place in, in the ninth chapter of Romans where Paul says, basically, God chose Jacob and did not choose Esau. He hardened Pharaoh. And a student in class raised their hand, innocent of what was going on in my life, and just said, I have a really hard time with the fact that, well, I had a sibling who was killed. And as far as I know, they didn't know the Lord. And here I do know the Lord. And why does stuff like that happen? I just, I just found myself breaking down in front of the class and just bawling my eyes out because I was wrestling with the same thing. Why? My brother had given every indication of not just not caring about Christianity, but of absolutely rejecting it. And you never know what happens in those last moments of life, but all the evidence was really looking bad. And I, 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 I said to the student, I really just had to come to the place where the more fundamental question for me, because I know who I am, is not why did my brother not get it, but why do I? How could it be, knowing the depth of the ugliness within myself, do I find myself saying, yeah, I really believe Jesus loves me. How could that be? And if he loves me so much, how could I not love him? And it's just made all the difference in the world in my life to know that this is really all there is. Being loved by him and loving him. And talking to as many people like my brother as I possibly can. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, That's all Jesus wanted from Peter who denied him three times. It's all Jesus wants from you and me. But that's what he wants. He wants you and me to love him. Second, he says, love me, not a me of your imagination. Verse 24, the word which you are hearing is not mine but the fathers who sent me. And verse 26, 
He says to the disciples, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and cause you to remember everything I have said. And that's what he wants them to let the world know. We have those words in our New Testament. And that's the Jesus whom Jesus says we are to love. Albert Schweitzer taught us over a hundred years ago that if we tried to find some Jesus behind these words, the real Jesus that's somewhere out besides in here, Albert Schweitzer says we will wind up engaging in a lot of mirror gazing. We will be chasing a phantom, a projection of ourselves. The capitalist will discover a capitalist Jesus. The socialist, a socialist Jesus. The brutal dictator will find justification in a Jesus in his likeness. Not that we've never seen that before, right? Not that that's not going on right now. The revolutionist will answer in kind. We'll find a revolutionary Jesus. Here's the deal. We are called to conform ourselves to Jesus, not make him conform to ourselves. And so he is telling us here, read, mark, digest. Know the living Jesus through the words he has imparted to his trusted apostles and which he makes alive to this day by his illumining spirit. Now, maybe you don't need to be told that, but at some point in my life, I did. And maybe somebody here needs to hear that too. There was a point in my life <clears throat> when <clears throat> I considered myself a Christian, but I, was, I went on a journey to find a Bible-free Jesus, a Jesus who would free me to bring in the kingdom through power politics and to, well, let's just say, have my way in relationships. Now, so I cared a lot about you hungering and thirsting for righteousness on my terms, but I didn't know a whole lot about blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And I certainly didn't know much about blessed are the pure in spirit, for they will see God. I was rescued in that period of my life by two friends who didn't even know that they were on a rescue mission. Two people who simply loved, who as I observed their lives, I could see that they loved Jesus more than I did because they were steeped in his word and were being shaped by it. And they were not looking to sidestep inconvenient things in his teachings. And so then, so you, you, I, I need people who love me and love me and love a me that's not a figment of their imagination but a me they find in the word. And then here's how, here's how I'll reach everybody through you. Through my and my Father's abiding presence in you by the Holy Spirit. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me and keeps and will keep my word, my Father will love him and to that one 
we will come and make our abode with him or her. Jesus often says things in the plural. He says this in the singular. With each one of you, the Father and I will dwell. It's a, well, the wonderful thing that happens in John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Fellowship. And then the Son, the Word comes and dwells among us. The Spirit dwells upon him. And then Jesus goes so that then he and the Father by the Spirit can come and take up residence inside us so that now it's the Father and the Son tabernacling out in the world in the people that he sends out into the world. And that presence will be evident in two ways. So first we got, we need, he needs us to love him he needs us to love him according to who he is, not according to what we want him to be. And then he will dwell with the Father in us. And then he will make the Father and himself known to the world in two ways. In our peace and in our joy. First, in your peace. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My own peace I give you. I don't give the way the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled, and do not play the coward. What Jesus is looking to build is people who know peace, equilibrium, who are not troubled and worried, and who play the coward. Our, our Acts reading today gives us a, a great illustration. There's a backdrop to uh, the vision that Paul sees of the Macedonian inviting him to come over to, to Greece. Paul has been ministering in Southern uh, Asia Minor and Central Asia Minor, and then he's been trying to figure out where do I go next? He's wanted to go up to Bithynia, which is the Northern part of Asia Minor, but the spirit of Jesus said, no. But then rather than just frenetically just going all over the place, Lord, Lord, what, 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 what? He winds up just going to Troas which is on the west coast of Asia Minor. It's classical Troy. It's, uh, we know it from, we know it from um, the Odyssey and the, um, and the Iliad. We know it, for, this is where Xerxes, the Persian, um, gathered his troops when he tried to conquer Europe. And here is Paul just sitting, waiting. And then I don't know whether he's up praying all night or I think it's more likely, and it's probably just a projection of me. He's just gone to bed, and he's sleeping. I don't know. I do some of my best processing when I'm asleep. And in the middle, and I know some of you do too, because we've talked about this, because I've talked about this before. And however it happens, he gets a vision in the middle of the night of a man from northern Greece, the first European, who says, come. And just reversing, reversing the path of the would-be conqueror Xerxes the Persian, Paul just goes across in a little boat and begins the conquest of Europe by simply telling people about Jesus because he is at peace with who God has called him to be. And he's just ready to go and tell the story of Jesus wherever God will open the door. And then there he meets Lydia, the purple merchant, who is at peace enough to dare to open her house 
to become host to Paul and sponsor of his ministry. Later, Paul is given the peace to write to a congregation in Rome, to a bunch of congregations in Rome that are at war with each other. He's granted the peace to write to the Romans about how their common trust in the gospel of Jesus should give them one voice in worship. And then Phoebe, who is the deacon of the church of Cancria, a suburb of Corinth from where Paul is writing to the Romans, is granted the peace to go to Rome, to take Paul's letter, to get the Jewish and Gentile Christians to come together to implement Paul's call to unity, peace, and in your joy. I mean, the night on which Jesus is, is speaking is, is one of gloom. Judas has gone out to betray. Jesus is talking about going away. And Jesus says, you have heard me say to you, I'm going away and I am coming to you. I will be raised from the dead. I will come in the Holy Spirit and I will come again at the end of time. But look, if you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to my father because my father is greater than I. As the Athanasian Creed would much later explain, Jesus is equal to the father as touching his Godhead, inferior to the father as touching his manhood. For he adopted our humanness on a rescue mission of love. He came among us to be one of us, to assume all that we are so that all that we are could be redeemed. And his, his leaving marks the triumphal accomplishment of that mission. Commentator uh, Frederick Dale Bruner puts it so elegantly um, and and especially apt this week as Thursday is the Feast of Ascension. I, I just can't do better than to quote him. Bruner says, but if the disciples can only believe that what looks awful is in fact awesome, the reunion of the Father with the Son after his successfully accomplished mission, it is finished. And that with that reunion, the reconciliation of the world the reconciliation of the world to God has been accomplished, then all is well or beginning to be well. For Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension mean the defeat of death and of sin and of meaningless. That's why you and I will be able to praise joyfully no matter what. Let me ask you to go back to your hymnal, number 538, and I'd like to ask Michael to go back to the organ, and I, don't let this marvelous paraphrase of Psalm 67 just pass by too easy, too easily. Let's stand and sing, God of mercy, God of grace.
seated again. Let thy people praise thee, Lord, by all that live adored. Let the nation shout and sing glory to their Savior King. Let all be, all be below, above, one in joy and light and love. Your job and mine, friends, love Jesus, the real Jesus, not one of your or my fabrication. He with his Father will dwell in us by his Spirit, and out will come both peace and joy, knowing that tyrants will fall, persecutors will perish, and when faith dies in one culture, it will be raised up in another. And though they may take life, fortune, reputation, we will be able to sing, for we know the victory has already been won. And that is why we pray, as we prayed earlier in the service. Oh God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.